This morning we are going to look at uh, Exodus chapter 16. So if you want to go ahead and turn there uh, in your few Bibles or the script uh, with you, we're going to pick things up in verse uh, 2. We're going to read through verse 12. As you know, we've been looking at the life of Moses uh, in the book of Exodus and asking what does he have to teach us about a life of trust? What is it? How does Moses help us understand and learn about trusting God in the midst of uh, the life that he's called us to, to live uh, unto him? And this passage this morning is no exception. Last week we uh, saw that the Israelites finally crossed the Red Sea. We saw all the drama that went on uh, with that in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 15 is the Song of Moses. It's a, it's a retelling in poetic language of the Exodus event. And now we find uh, the Israelites... In the wilderness, or in the desert, depending how your translations uh, describe it. So with that being said, let's uh, read this passage together. If you would stand with me for, as you're able for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 2 through verse 12. Let's hear God's word. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt... There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Verse 6, so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that, that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, At twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Your God. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. Let's pray together. Father God, we ask uh, in these moments that you would give us ears to hear and to embrace you by faith. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Over this uh, past Memorial Day weekend, um, our family decided just to do a, a quick overnight uh, kind of camping trip. And so we uh, made our plans. We found a place in, in Charleston, a campsite there, just to kind of is just kind of a park and camp kind of deal. And it's Memorial Day weekend, so we had to make a reservation just to make sure we, we had a spot. And so we had the car packed up. Uh, it's a beautiful 90-plus degree uh, day outside. And so we uh, hopped in the car in the afternoon and, and proceeded to, to drive on down to uh, Charleston, easy drive. We got onto uh, I-95 to make our way down. And I noticed that the car was just a, a little bit off. It just felt different, you know. And I was thinking, well, it's, it's probably just because there's a, there's a ton of stuff back there, and it's just heavy, and it was just kind of, 
felt like maybe just a little bit of sway or felt a little heavy. Felt Something felt off just a little bit, but I was like, that's probably not a big deal. So we go and go and go, and we're about a mile from our exit where we get off in the Charleston area, and this yellow light comes on the dash, and it's, you know, it's kind of alarm light, you know, you need to pull over, you need to pull over kind of light. And uh, I was like, oh, great. And it's like, well, it's a yellow light, and so it's, maybe it's one of those lights that say, you know, when it's short amount of time, you need to have this car checked out. So I was like, okay. So we keep, keep going. It's another mile. We get off the exit, and then it gets real serious. The red light comes on, and it's like you really get to get off the road. And so we pulled off into this um, small kind of strip mall off this main drag in the Charleston area, and uh, turn it off, and we think, well, maybe it's just a computer thing. We turn it back on, and the power steering is gone. I mean, it's like manual, manual steering. Some of you know manual steering. Remember those days? It's, it's worse than manual steering. That thing is, is, is hard to go anywhere. And so we are, there we are, in some parking lot off this main drag in Charleston. It's a Sunday afternoon, Memorial Day weekend, 90-plus degrees, kids in the back, back filled with camping stuff what do you do and i'm like we just got to go home let's just we got to just go back we just got to retreat from these plans and, but i was quickly outvoted because the kids and my wife were like no let's just go camping we're right here and they're like we'll just call an uber and we'll just get them to drop us off there which is what we did we called an uber we got a big enough one we threw all of our camp stuff in there and we went camping with the uber dropping us off at the site which was not something I expected. We eventually got the car fixed, but it, at that moment, just the, in, I felt just this intense insecurity, feeling of being stranded, feeling of being isolated, feeling like you know we're just caught and there's there's no way that we there's just no help uh, for us, just feeling so isolated. And I can imagine the Israelites as they are in the desert, wandering around, how isolated they feel, how trapped they feel in a sense because they're in this this miserable place they've been out of, they've left their homes and they're not at their new home so to speak it's not like they've they've unpacked and moved into this new kind of residence and this new way of life they're just kind of wandering out in the desert and God is is using this moment to test them and this idea of, of testing is what I want us to look into this morning and say, what, what does this have to teach us about our own lives and those moments where God may be testing us? And so three things to, just to cover. I want to talk about the test itself. And by that, I mean the circumstances and what's going on with the Israelites that would lead to this. I want to talk about the, the purpose of the test. Uh, what kind of test is this? What do we mean by that God is testing them? And then the lastly, the, the provision uh, in the testing. What does God provide and what direction is he giving them? So first, the, the, the test itself. The test for the Israelites is how are they going to respond to God in the wilderness or God in the desert? How are they going to respond to him? And there's two things to highlight regarding their circumstances, I think, to, to pull out because it's going to uh, have uh, impact for us later on. The first thing is to think about the place. We don't want to move past where they are too quickly. They are in the wilderness. Or your translation may say that they are in the desert, which is to say that they are in a place where life struggles to sustain itself. It's not the place that people are attracted to or are moving towards this isolated kind of region. And you think, well, how did they get there? 
Well, they got there because they've been following God. They've been following this cloud. They've been, God has, has, has led them to this place, led them to this area, and this is where he wants them uh, to be, to be out there in this wilderness region. And we quickly see how the Israelites respond to this situation. You probably saw that word that was repeated over and over again uh, in this section of Scripture that we read, and it's an indicator of the condition of their hearts, the hearts of the Israelites, their attitude towards God in this situation. And that word is, is grumbling. Over and over again, we see how they are grumbling. They're complaining about the situation that they're in, which is not really new to us. If you uh, were here and we talked about Exodus 14 in particular, when uh, they've left and the Red Sea's in front of them and the Egyptian army's coming behind them, they panic, they freak out, they begin to complain, if you will, about what's, what's happening. Um, and it, I think it's, if you, you know that as, as readers, we know the story and we know how delusional this kind of thinking is and, and how out of bounds this kind of thinking is and how void of faith uh, it is for them to respond with this, this grumbling because God has, has made himself evident to them all along in this process when Moses initially shows up on the scene with the, the dramatic plagues and certainly with uh, the separation of the Red Sea, and it's like they've just forgotten. They've forgotten about God. They've forgotten about everything that he did, and their minds immediately go where? You know, life in Egypt. Life was great there. We had three square meals. We had great food, and things were so much better there, and you've, you've brought us out here to die, Moses and Aaron. You've brought us to this miserable place. And they've forgotten all the suffering. They've forgotten how they've cried out, how they cried out to God over and over again. God, you've got to deliver us. This is, this is awful. The work is just, it's too oppressive. We, we can't live like this anymore in, in this situation of bondage. And they're acting like what? They're acting, still acting like slaves. They still have this slave mentality that they're living according to. They've been delivered from slavery, but they still have this slave mentality it helped me to, to kind of understand what they're thinking when I heard it described like this. This is kind of the language of an addict that we see in this passage. The, the language and attitude of an addict. Imagine an addict who is um, struggling with, with alcohol. And uh, he's, he's sober now, and he's been sober for a, a number of, a long period of time. And he thinks about his situation, and he, thinks, he kind of begins to reason, you know, it wasn't so bad when I was drinking like that. It wasn't so bad. It was pretty good. And what are they doing? They're, they're completely forgetting about how destructive their relationship, how ruined their relationships were, how they were an emotional mess and just the, the disaster they were making of their lives. But they're reasoning that, you know, it's, it's not so bad. It's this delusional type of, of thinking that they're uh, encountering. And the idea is that they've been removed from slavery. They're out of slavery. They're no longer in bondage, but that slave mentality is still present in them. And it may have been overnight they've been physically delivered from their slavery, but it's going to be a process to pull them out of this slave mentality, which helps us, I think, as, as Christians, as instantaneous as that, that moment was they were delivered from slavery, they still had that slave mentality in, inside their heads and inside their hearts that life was, was better back then and they're struggling to adjust now to life with God. We can be just as guilty of them in the sense that we see our problems, we see our situations, and we want a quick fix. 
God, would you deliver this now? God, I've prayed, and so give me joy now. God, I'm, I'm angry and bitter. Fix this now. Fix this overnight. We want these quick fixes, and that's just not how the Bible articulates, describes to us the Christian life. Yes, God does answer your prayers. God, God rescues, God, God redeems, God removes, God responds to us. But so much of the mentality that we bring into the Christian life is a, is a process to remove. It takes time to, to move that out of our lives, this habit of faith and repentance and faith and obedience to see that change. And so think about, that's the situation of the testing. Think about the, the, the purpose of the testing, uh, if you will. What, why is God bringing them into this moment? Well, look back at, at verse 4. I want to look back at verse 4 again. Uh, Moses said, or this is what we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain down bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And then later on in that passage, on the sixth day, take twice as much as you gather daily so that you will be prepared uh, for the Sabbath. Meaning, I don't, I don't want you working on the Sabbath. That's a day of rest. That's a, that's a special day of worship. Don't gather that day. The day before, gather twice as much so you'll have some for that day. If we read another in other spots in the text, in verse 27 in particular, we see that they fail that test. They, some of them go out and gather on that day when they're not supposed to. In verse 35, it says, The people of Israel ate manna 40 years. So they came to the habitable land, they ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. The point is 40 years of daily gathering this bread, gathering this food for themselves. This is the test that they are to undergo and they find themselves in. So the question I think that's helpful for us, what kind of test is this? Some of us who hear that word test and we get kind of jittery because we think about school. We think about exams. Um, or we think about uh, the test in the sense of like that the IRS wants to audit our, our personal accounts or our business accounts. And we think of tests in the sense of pass-fail. Am, am I adequate or am I not adequate? Um, am I going to make it or am I not going uh, to make it? Is that the kind of test that we see here? Well, if it is, then they fail. Because uh, the Israelites fail over and over again. That's what verse 27 is about. They're, they're doing and they're, they're failing this test. They're showing themselves uh, to be unworthy. And it's not the kind of test where God wants to see if they're worthy or not of his love. Of his, are, are they worthy of his presence with them? Are they worthy of all the work that God has done to deliver them and, and to free them? It's not that kind of test where he's trying to ruin them. But it's a different kind of testing, if you will. In Exodus 20, 20, we read this. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. In other words, God is testing the people, not trying to harm them, but he's testing them in the sense that he wants to, them to see who they really are. What's the, the makeup and the constitution of their hearts, their attitudes, and their perception of things around them. And he wants to bring them into a process, into a lifestyle, where they're leaving that slave mentality, if you will, behind them in their understanding, what does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to, to fear him? What does it mean to, to walk in his law, to walk in his instruction, and walk in a life 
worthy of him because they're still living with this slave mentality. Again, God in an instant took them out of slavery, but now he's begun this process of bringing the slave mentality out of them. It's one thing to bring them into freedom, but it's another thing for them to understand this freedom that they're now living in, and that's the part of this testing, to bring them into this process where they gradually understand, this is my life now. This is who I am now. This is who God is for me in my life now. God wants to bring them into a deeper relationship with him, into a closer relationship with him. How does he do that? He brings them into the wilderness. He, see, he makes sure that they see that their hearts are exposed, so that they see who they really are. Doesn't God do the same thing in our own lives? Doesn't he bring us into our own deserts, our own wilderness experiences? He puts us in a place where things are horrible, and we begin to see our own lives, our own response to things. And we know those desert experiences when we have nowhere else to turn. They could be big issues. Uh, they could be small issues that are just take up one part of our lives, or they could be something that, that takes up all of our lives. We find ourselves in a spot where, God, you have to rescue. You have uh, to, to figure this out, if you will. There is no plan B. It's not like we can go to God. God, if you would answer this prayer, that would be great. But if you don't, my backup plan is to talk to this person or is to do this and to do that, and that will fix uh, the situation. The Israelites are in this wilderness situation where God has to come through for them. They're in a place where the life does not sustain itself. If God doesn't meet their needs then it's going to be something uh, that they can't get themselves out of. The wilderness is where we learn who we really are. The desert is where we learn what our hearts are really made up of and what we really think about God. So what does he give them uh, to teach them? What provision does he make for, uh, them, them, for them in this experience? Well, in one word, bread. Manna. It's obvious that he provides this thing that they are to gather up uh, every day, this, this sweet-tasting, honey-like substance that he gives to them to gather up uh, day in and day out. But I want us to think about the instruction that comes with that provision, the instructions that come with that provision. I think that by doing that, it's telling about what God is maybe expecting of us and what it looks like to, to relate to him. You know, you saw how often they are to do this. Every day, gather up the food. Uh, he gives them, um, he does not give them room to be industrious. He doesn't say to them, you know what, this day I want you, on, on Mondays, I want you to go to this place and gather up all the food you need for a month. It's not like he says, you know, here's your card, and you can go to Walmart and get all you need for that month, and then you're done. But it's a daily going out, finding food, and bringing it back. Nor are they passive in this process. The Red Sea was a passive miracle in their lives, in the sense that they stood there, and the seas parted, and they walked through. It was passive. They, didn't, they weren't active in that. But with this, it's, it's not passive. They are to, to engage, to go out every day and find this bread and, and bring it in for themselves. It's not like God's not saying to them, when you're hungry, just say you're hungry, and the Amazon guy's going to show up at your door, and you're going to be fed. It's not that situation, but they're to be industrious. They're to go out and, and be active and participate in this. He wants them out there gathering daily. 
their daily bread. And you, your minds have to go back to the, to the Lord's Prayer. We pray daily for our daily provision, our daily needs to be met by God. One, ex, one minister explained it uh, like this. He says, imagine you're out driving in a strange city. You're in Atlanta, for example. And you've got to get to location X. And you don't have Google Maps uh, you don't have uh, a map in your car, and you're kind of wondering where it is, and so you kind of pull off to the side, and you see a gentleman um, outside, outside the car there, and you say, hey, can you help me find location X? And that guy looks at you, and he scratches his head and says, man, you don't know how lost you are. Uh, it's pretty bad. Um, he kind of figures, you know, I, I, could give, I could give you instructions or directions to that place, but it's not going to help you. It's just so confusing and so complicated to find. So here's, here's what I'll do, okay? I'll, let me drive with you. Let me get in the car with you, and we'll go there together. That's the best way to show you how uh, to get there. And the point is, we need spiritual direction every day, every moment of our lives. That, that picture of gathering food uh, every day is a reminder to us that we need God moment by moment involved in our lives. That's the kind of relationship that we're involved with, with God. It, you would never say to your spouse, honey, I'm going to be out of town this month, and um, let's just have a great lunch together. Uh, let's get our fill of one another here this afternoon. Uh, and that when, when that's over, then we'll be good to go for the, next, for the rest of the month. And then we'll start over again the beginning of the following month. That's not how relationships work. That's not how you grow closer together. You spend time together moment by moment, day by day, uh, together. And that's the, the picture of this, the gathering this bread every day that we pursue him like that. It's no different in our relationship with God. The second thing uh, about this manna or about this bread is what it points to. That we, in other words, we find real provision in God, with God in our lives when we, when we see what this manna is pointing to. In Deuteronomy 8.3, it says this. It says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Was God providing for their practical needs? Yes, he provided food for them every day, day in and day out. But in that process, he was teaching that, that manna points to something far more significant. Yes, you had this physical need for food, but your real need, your deeper need, is for me. Your deeper need is, is more of God in your life. To see him as the one that sustains you, that gives you energy, that gives you nutrition, that gives you strength, that gives you energy, that gives you hope, that gives you power to, to, to live this life that God has called you to live. In other words, my bread is, the tr- is truth for your hearts, for your souls, for your mind. That is what we are to feed on. That's what we're to hunger after that's what we're to long for. That's what we need to sustain us. Yes, I need food, and yes, God provides my daily needs. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that dependence upon him, I'm seeing that he is the one that I find life in. He is the one that sustains me. He is the one, as I take in more and more of his word and more and more of his truth, I get that reality in my life. In other words, as, to be a Christian as believers... Certainly we want him to help us and to minister to our, 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 our daily needs, so to speak. 
But in the midst of that, we know that God is not some genie that just meets our needs when we have them, when they rise in our lives. Our deeper needs are for God himself, to find life with him, to find life not in the things that he gives us, but in the thing that he is in and of himself, his gift of himself to us in the first place. And take that principle and, and, and think about it in the context of, of your prayer life, and that's when things really begin uh, to change. It's not so much about what he can give us, but it's what he does in the midst of our need that we find life and strength and sustenance uh, with us. Think about it like this. All of us, I'm sure, have been in a place where we're frustrated with our prayer lives in the sense of we have this, this need and we have this, this list that we bring to God. God, you've got to answer this. You've got to do this. And if you don't, things are going to be a real disaster for us. And we have these requests, and we find that God's not answering. He's not being clear. He's not opening the door. He's not closing the door. Whatever metaphor you, you want to do, use, he's not answering that thing. Well, maybe what he's doing in that process of not showing you specifically what he's going to do, maybe he's showing you how you can find life and strength in him for who he is in and of himself. Yes, he wants to answer that for you, but maybe what he's doing is saying, I want you to find life in me. I want you to find strength in me. Not in me answering this prayer and providing and, and fixing this situation for you, but know that I am present with you in the midst of this wilderness, in the midst of this desert. And you find yourself saying, that's enough. Certainly I want you to answer this, but it's enough that you're here with me because I know your strength and I know your grace and I know your power in my life. And the way we see more of God in our lives is when we allow his truth to be our food, to be the thing that strengthens us. It's why we need to be in the word every day. Not just reading a passage and checking it off our list, but reading, reading God's word and asking, what do I learn about God from this passage? What do I learn about myself? What is it commanding me to do? What do I need to confess if this passage is true? How do I need to live in light of, of what it says here? That, that your, your soul is being fed as you meditate on God's word, as you pray it back to him, as you mull it over, as you memorize it, as you, as you think about it, that there's life and strength to be had there. As you talk about it in a small group or as you talk about it with your friends and you say, this is what God's word is it's teaching me. And you hear what other people are, are learning from God's word. As you pray it, as you talk about it, as you hear it, as you memorize it, it gives you strength and it gives you life in the midst of your wilderness in the midst of the reality that you need from him. Let me close with this, a couple things, two, just one main thing, and we'll pray. In John chapter 6, uh, Jesus uh, has these uh, food encounters, if you will, these bread encounters. He feeds the 5,000, and everybody sees this, and they're amazed by it, of course, and he gets this gathering that, that, that follows him and, and wants more of him because they want more food from him because he's just this, such a great provider. And it doesn't take long for uh, the audience and for the reader to see that there's such a comparison between Jesus and Moses. Moses providing food in the desert and Jesus providing bread here. And it gives rise, of course, to Jesus saying in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. 
To be a Christian is to know Christ as your bread, as the one that sustains you, the one that gives you life, the one that nourishes you, the one that strengthens you. Are you experiencing Jesus as your bread of life? Is he giving you truth and you're fed by it, nourished by it, energized by it, satisfied by it, finding rest in it to meet you in the midst of your desert, in the midst of your wilderness, in the midst of your life? Let's pray together and ask that he would, would do that. Father God, we are, are people that are hungry. Uh, as your scripture uh, highlights for us, that we will uh, meet that hunger. Either we'll come to you and look to you to satisfy, look to you to nourish, look to you to refresh and to strengthen, or we'll go to broken places, things that look appealing, things that look attractive for the moment, but will ultimately leave us disappointed. Father God, we pray that you would show us more of yourself, more of your truth, that you would feed us. I pray particularly for folks in this room who are struggling, struggling with their circumstances, struggling with perhaps the wilderness of the desert that you have brought them into and they find themselves in, that you would minister to them on a deep way and that you would show yourself to be the bread of life. We ask all this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.